I never thought I'd have a reason to say this, but I'll begin today's cold open with a quote from Donald Rumsfeld, the former two-time U.S. Secretary of Defense. I'm paraphrasing Mr. Rumsfeld when I assert that there exist only three kinds of information. What we know, we know. What we know, we don't know. And what we don't know, we don't know, with each subsequent type of information larger than the last until we get to the final type, which is so overwhelmingly large as to stagger us in place. Why talk about Donald Rumsfeld today? It has to do with what I consider to be perhaps the single most important topic in crypto art, and certainly amongst the most under-discussed. That's censorship. Censorship, both deliberate and incidental, affects our ability to know what we don't know. If artists from Iran, per se, are being kicked off unceremoniously from OpenSea, and we knew about that, we might be outraged. But if their tweets were also being suppressed, if mentions of Iran or DMCA somehow triggered Twitter's blacklisting algorithm, then that information simply recedes, and we once again enter into that largest of abysses, what we don't know that we don't know. Where I have seen this most intensely applied and most painfully felt is in the sex worker community, which, I don't know, maybe you're not even aware that such a community exists in crypto art, but that would be surprising because Twitter, OpenSea, Rarible, so many of these and other platforms have a history of suppressing the talents, creativity, and voices of the sex worker community. We spoke about this at some length last year with the artist Pollyanni, and I encourage you to check out that episode as well. The unavoidable subtext to the episode you're about to hear is that this kind of censorship, while it is currently applied to select communities with select occupations from select countries, can be applied arbitrarily at a moment's notice to anyone anywhere. And that has truly profound implications on the tenor and tact of an art movement which claims to pride itself on decentralization, permissionlessness, and inclusivity. Today's episode is about reckoning with what we don't know we don't know, so that by paying attention, we might be able to change that. My guest is the multifaceted artist, writer, and ardent opponent of censorship, Natrix. There is nobody better in all of crypto art with whom to have the conversation we have today. One about the many forms of censorship in crypto and crypto art, the bodies it leaves behind, the way it's used to punish far more than to protect, and much more. I'm so glad you found your way to my conversation with Natrix today. I ask that you please pay attention to this episode of Mocha Live. Welcome, everybody, to the Mocha Live podcast. It is 5.08 p.m. Eastern Standard Time here in beautiful, rainy Brooklyn, New York. My name is Max Cohen. I will be your host for the Mocha Live podcast today. Welcome, welcome. We're excited to have you. Excited to have this conversation today with my guest, who is someone I've been really quite desperate to talk to for a long time. Uh, this is a high caliber artist and writer. Um, she's worked extensively with AI, which everyone who listens to this podcast knows close to my heart in her collection, Fembot. Um, she's created some of the most fascinating and controversial artwork I've ever come across in Web3, like crypto sexuality, the Sistine Chapel of Smut, things we'll talk about later. Um, and more importantly, she's been an ardent champion of sex worker sovereignty and a vital voice against censorship. Um, that would be Natrix. So welcome Natrix to Mocha Live. Thanks for being here. Hello, and thank you for having me. Yeah, we're going to talk about a topic that nobody talks about um, naturally, which I suppose is part of the issue, and that would be censorship in Web3. Um, you know, you've been minting artworks since at least October 2020. So you've seen 
a few different eras of crypto art, bull market of 2021, the bear, um, whatever is happening now. You know, on March 8th, 2021, you wrote an op-ed for The Defiant where you said, quote, I knew upon entering crypto art last fall that there was quite a task ahead to help carve out space for more like me. I believe crypto can provide tools for sex workers to take greater control over our image and for us to create communities where our work is accepted, where we can express ourselves and just exist without facing the stigma we already do outside of crypto. So with that as the subtext, it seems very <laughs> clear to me that we have fundamentally failed in this arena. Crypto art is full of blacklisting, full of stigma, full of taboo, full of censorship. And I'm hoping, although maybe it's a big topic, that you can maybe give us at the outset an overview of where things went wrong and kind of where you're at right now with this issue. Yeah. Uh, so when I wrote that almost three years ago now, I definitely had a lot more hope than I have now. I think everyone did. I think a lot of people feel this when they first get into this stuff that that it will be like great for all these things and then they realize that it's actually not and it's just more of the same uh, shit, if not even worse because of the kind of crypto culture that seems to be dominant. But um, yeah, when I when I wrote that, it was it was very early on. And like when I first started, a lot of people would ask or like talk about how great it could NFTs and could be for sex workers. Of course, crypto can still be great for sex workers. But as far as like being socially connected with like the NFT space community, whatever, um, it hasn't really worked out. There's been a lot of platforms that have tried but mostly we're taking advantage of sex workers in nfts and i've talked a lot about that as well since then and i think when i first wrote that for the defiant that was before any of that started happening like before any of these platforms for sex workers or like not safe for work nsfw whatever how you want to define that before that mm -hmm. that started popping up but um yeah back then there was just like a lot more hope and I was maybe a little naive as a lot of us can be. But yeah, and now at this point, censorship has happened in a lot of different ways, not just with art on different platforms, but in, in terms of the narrative and um, like sharing the stories of what, is, what has happened, like different journalistic platforms have censored and controlled in that way. I'd also say that I don't really consider like Web3 if if there's censorship, then it's not Web3. Like if censorship is possible, then it's not Web3. So, or whatever mm -hmm. Web3 is supposed to be. So, yeah. Yeah, that's something that I think is really at, at the heart of this a lot for me as well, which is, and I'm really glad you brought up platforms so early because obviously we have the rhetoric on, I think the individual side of permissionlessness and decentralization as kind of like the central tenets, not just of the movement, but of a lot of people's ethos in that movement. But then when those people start to conglomerate into platforms, businesses, et cetera, and those businesses are trying to attract money, influence, attention from, you know, not just within Web3, but outside of it, that's where you start to see like real DMCAing, real blacklisting, not just of sex workers, you know, OpenSea has been harangued time and again for, you know, removing people from the platform who seem to create any kind of sensitive content or people from certain countries so i i yeah. was where's that dis disconnect coming from because the public the rhetoric on an individual level is so heavy 
more decentralization, more permissionlessness, more of a removal of these like centralized forces. And then obviously the reality is so much different on like an institutional level. Yeah. Um, where's the disconnect coming from? I mean, I think people just aren't paying attention and they don't care. I also just want to say, like, maybe I should have said before that, although now I'm not doing uh, sex work, I, I will still always advocate for these issues. And um, so I just want to say that, like, I can't speak as that right now. And I don't want to claim to. So I just wanted to say that. But yeah, but it definitely does not just affect sex workers. Um, but al although the rules and laws or, or like like platform rules in general that are often made to initially target sex workers can be applied to anyone subjectively and because these rules are so vague. But um, yeah, I just think that in general, like most people just don't care because it doesn't affect them, to be honest. Like maybe they will, and people care about different things. Like, you know, like there, if, if it's a more popular collection that's been DMCA'd, um, for example, like crypto funks, a lot of people have cared care about that. I believe like Rutger Vandertoss just got a project taken off of um, OpenSea for some arbitrary reason, just as, in, as in another example. Yeah, I mean, these, these rules are often applied in a very vague, and subjective way and often um, have to do with who's in control of these platforms or who's tied to them. But yeah, it's just, if it doesn't directly affect people, people won't really care. Like it's good enough for them and people are making money. So no one cares. <laughs> um, and it's the same with like even centralized exchanges like Coinbase and Gemini have shut down sex worker accounts including mine and others that I know. But, and I mean, I think people, like a lot of people in crypto in general know not to trust centralized ex exchanges, but like normies, like no one's really gonna care about that it's happened to a few people. Like they know it can happen, um, at least like the bigger ones like Coinbase, um, but like people are still gonna continue to use those because one, they, they need to use it maybe for some things and like off ramping, but it just like doesn't affect most people or they think that it, they think that it won't, but, but it can affect anyone. And um, even like the, the rules, NSFW rules, those can be arbitrarily almost like very subjectively applied to people um, for different reasons, like especially artists. So. Well, help me understand from like, in your opinion, from like a business sense, now obviously neither of us are involved with a platform like this, but I don't understand the incentive of, and let's just use like, um, we can use Rarible as an example, right? Okay. Um, <laughs> just like they took Sistine Chapel of Smut off their site. That's, you know, a pretty <laughs> con controversial, well-known piece of yours. It features like a strap-on um, dildo. It's like, it's very, what's the word? It's very graphic. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure it's not the only like graphic piece on their site, but they used it to kind of, they, they took your work off of it. I have no opinion on Rarible specifically, but I don't understand on just an intellectual level, who's applying pressure to a platform like that so that they make a decision in that way. 
where they are seeing a benefit to doing so, it seems like it only erodes institutional trust from the community who should have the most institution, who they should be seeking the most institutional trust from. Like, where am I misunderstanding the incentive <laughs> of these platforms? Um, I, I think there can be different incentives. Like for the rareable thing, um, that piece I made, like I didn't even think about what I was doing when I was like making that or how like controversial it could be because I was just really just taking like old clips from old videos that I made when I was a dom and like making most random shit with it. And like, and like days, I don't, it was like very soon after I minted it and I was like very new and I had a very tiny account um, that I noticed it was taken down and I like tried to get an explanation and, and never did. Um, and like months later, I noticed they were also, they were still hiding more of my art from my page. And then they said it was a glitch and that they would never censor, which is obviously a lie. So who knows what happened there? But like for that, I think that could obviously be someone's just like personal discomfort. And because like, it's the strap on, it's a toy. It's not real. Like it's not. And Whereas, like, I'm sure they would not remove Beeple's dick art from if he were to mint on Marable. Like, no way they would remove that, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, of, like, men jerking each other off. Like, so, it, I don't know. I think for m that piece, like, I just feel like it made someone really uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I think that, like, that's the thing. It's, like, very subjective. But, um, but then if you look at, um, like, OpenSea, like an example of like other interests coming into play, probably um, like, you know, the uh, yoga apes that are sucking their own dicks. You know, remember that? Um, of course I do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, those, those were clearly like part of it was like critiquing like these big projects and companies and the culture around it. And, and those, they also, those companies have, ties with OpenSea and um, and they said that, I mean, that was just search banned, like wasn't totally removed, but like from, you couldn't really, you couldn't search it. But, mm -hmm. but if you searched it, you would see other scam collections that have the same imagery. Mm -hmm. um, so it obviously wasn't like genuinely, like if you're saying it's like, you're hiding these things to protect kids, like, because it's not safe for work or whatever like it's it clearly wasn't that like it was clearly to target um that collection specifically and mike who made it but um i mean it could be like someone like whoever's in charge of like deciding what's allowed or not it could be some like personal feelings of discomfort or it could be like other larger interests coming into play and like dictating what's okay or not or and um or just like wanting to punish someone like that does happen. And, and that's the problem with these rules being so vague and having zero transparency or like communication around how they're applied because mm -hmm. they will, they can affect everyone. So maybe not everyone, not everyone does something that's like even remotely controversial. Some people are just like, but they can, they, these platforms can do whatever they want. And meanwhile, like, they call themselves Web3, but there's like no transparency. Even if they 
even if a platform does want to genuinely apply these rules to keep it safe for kids um, or something like that, you should still be transparent around how the rules are being applied because when you when you can't do that, it's clear that it's not with genuine intentions. Yeah, I mean, it's an artistic movement in any kind of like, any situation in which there is an arbitrary ban or diminishment of the searchability of like a given topic or a given, I don't know, any kind of given variety of art is gonna have a chilling effect on artists who should, and I think often fight for their right to like evolve in any given direction. This also hits on something that I think is really important that you've spoken about at length, which a lot of people have spoken about at length, which is just the manner in which these sites are judging sexually provocative or sexually graphic work, or even just works with nudity when they're created by sex workers or women versus when they're created by like men who are viewed as having some kind of, I don't know, I don't even know what the argument could possibly be, but you know, that is a, a very obvious way that like censorship is happening now just in the way that like any it's not even a platform thing it's like how twitter even will still send you know or or still lack a sensitivity warning on so many you know quote unquote like artistic nudes photographs created by men whereas lots of the you know sex workers i follow on twitter not that i follow like tons of sex workers on twitter (laughs) not that i'm like an expert in that facet but like yeah way that these things are applied is just so happenstance and so senseless i mean yeah it's like women who monetize who are monetizing themselves and their own energy and content versus like someone else doing it like for like versus someone else making money off of like some anonymous woman who anonymity is a different discussion but like and it's also why like on instagram you'll see um rich celebrities or influencers who are not sex workers get away with posting things that sex workers would be punished for and that's mm-hmm. just like a fact like obviously there are exceptions and people will try to find exceptions like oh well this person is still here and they have all these followers like some like larger more well-known sex worker or something but it it absolutely happens and yeah and yeah and it's also of course not just about gender but about um if the woman is monetizing it monetizing herself or not like like influencers can do the same exact thing they can post suggestive selfies and like horny tweets and maybe that's even more sexual sexually subject suggestive than what someone who's a sex worker is posting but um it's seen differently of course like that's stigma comes into play with all of that as well mm-hmm. but yeah it's it's like it's just everywhere and i've also like it also has uh changed what i say like i obviously i'm not i mean i was very when i first started minting and stuff i was much more uh open and vocal about being a sex worker and now i don't i'm not doing that at this point in my life so i'm more careful about what I say all but also because I know that it will be uh it can be punished more easily and even my art now like I'm yeah also I've made I've like I've I've tried to make art about this like a few pieces about censorship in general but like like my only memes collection for example Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've seen that like it's like 
Yeah, it's like a collection of very like clearly sexualized nudes as opposed to just like, you know, nudes that are pretending not to be sexualized. But um, and I like censor my like any explicit parts with memes because mm -hmm. it's just like pointing to like what is acceptable or not and like what is taboo and what is acceptable and like yeah i mean that there's like a lot of discussion that could be had on that and just like i would not like there's tons of memes memes that are popular and they're extremely inappropriate but they're like seen much differently than if a woman is embracing her own sexuality so it's just like what is acceptable and what is not yeah well let's let's dive into that a bit because i think that that's a really that, I mean, that collection is, is brilliant, and I, I think it raises a lot of, like, really pregnant topics. The one that's top of mind, of, of course, for me, is that, like, there is this subterranean discourse that you've mentioned a couple times, right? This, like, safe for kids attitude that only seems to be brought up here and there when it's, I don't know, advantageous for a platform to explain this or that decision, but doesn't ever seem to feed into the public discourse elsewhere how do we like gauge that line or like how do you see that line being gauged within crypto art between like that which is the, this like quiet suggestion of quote-unquote family friendliness versus what i yeah. think i see before me most of the time which is like a very adult focused on like an intellectual level like very scatterbrained and kind of like restraintless art movement that wants its fullest expression of itself like yeah where that tension is just uh, yeah really pregnant in that work too and also like in this community yeah um yeah i mean crypto twitter in general is not safe for kids like that's very obvious like if you spend any time there and art it's it's the internet and like why are crypto dick butts like <laughs> so acceptable and so popular like do people know what that is it's literally in the name <laughs> but it's like but that's even kind of weirder because it's like the art is like cartoonish but it's like actually explicit so it's like a weird it looks like it's for kids but it's definitely not so i don't know there's probably a lot of specific cases we could look at um like that but it's just like a lot of hypocrisy and people only seem to want to bring it up when it in certain cases but yeah and 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 in general i think obviously it's parents responsibility to um kind of take care of what their kid is is doing like but this is the internet like i mean i don't think twitter in general is safe for kids and like you have Elon tweeting jokes about anal like that, you know, that like, why is he allowed to do that? Yeah, it's just and and I think in, in general, there's like a lot of it's a common thing, like a lot of laws will will be framed as protecting some vulnerable population, whether it's kids or um, trafficking victims, and it's like framed in this way, but it's actually putting more people in danger. And it's often like a Trojan horse for more control and surveillance, but it's just like the people making these rules often don't actually care about kids. And you can see that if you like open your eyes and look at what else they're doing and what these things are actually saying. But 
yeah, it's like disingenuous to only bring it up in certain situations when you like have a like a cartoon crypto dick butt as your PFP or your, you know, like. I was listening to um I, I'm a big fan of the Atlantic writer Derek Thompson's podcast, um, Plain English, and he was talking last week about kind of just like this rise in aloneness in that that we've been seeing for like the last 20 years, right? Just people spending more time alone. And he had on a guest who had posited this idea that like kids specifically spending time on the internet is as much a product of the internet being addictive as it is that like our outdoor spaces are so much more restrictive than they were in the seventies and eighties, the way that like I listened to my parents talk about, you know, they would just go out to play and they would come back at sundown or come back for dinner. And that was never a reality for me, right? There was so much fear and trepidation in the very fact of like not knowing where your kids are at any given time or not knowing what they're doing or who they're with. And yet the internet provides an alternative to that, which is because it's really unregulated. You know, every, any 12 year old can get around to any parent's, you know, child restrictions that they put on their computer because they're just so much more technologically literate. And the internet is a completely unfettered and unsafe place. And I don't think it takes a huge logical leap to look at that. I'm sure that if we look at like who's watching pornography, if we had a real like, you know, universal statistic, I'm sure 12 year olds would be at the top of that list, despite all of the, you know, very stringent restrictions to put in your age before you go view a video on Pornhub or something. Um, It just seems like it's such a farce. And it is only uh, I just it, it flabbergasts me because it doesn't take that much education in the topic or even that much like brain power to see that the internet was not designed to be a safe place for, you know, like old world traditional values, nor has it ever been, nor can it be. And that these things are only supply uh, applied rather selectively to harm individuals. I guess I just, I, yeah. I, I find myself frustrated at the lack of conversation that seems to want to be had when this happens. Um, and again, and it's not just sex workers. It's like, it's opposing viewpoints that are, perhaps like unwestern it's um mm-hmm. it's obviously political in a lot of different environments yeah. and we can find examples of that on the left and the right yeah the center yeah i mean like everyone a lot of people are hypocrites and um <laughs> and like it's really no difference like in um, it happens on both the left and the right yeah so so two, two one thing i want to just bring up before we we potentially lose the plot um because yeah. It was a very important document for me just coming into crypto art or even just being here for a short while was a, a text you wrote in 2022 um, called It's Not Web3 Without Sex Worker Sovereignty. Um, and I implore everyone who listens to this to seek out that text, which I will link in the bio to this podcast. But it is, I think, vital to understanding not just like what sex workers are experiencing in Web3, but also like what real decentralization, what real permissionlessness looks like in web three it's a real crystallization of those values and i just i wanted to ask you about that because it's been on my mind since you wrote it um like what was the impetus towards putting that into words and how long did you work on that and and then i have more questions on it thank you for bringing that up yeah uh so that took me a very long time to write like a couple months i think and but um i wrote it because because it was necessary to document all the the bad shit that's happened. Um, Earlier that year, I was going to write for Friends with Benefits, their journalistic thing. 
and they uh, fucked me over with that, which I also wrote about. But um, in that, but yeah, it was just like there was like a lot that needed to be shared and documented, and I couldn't find like the perfect place to do it, so I did it on my own, and I like even I I raised money to do it from some of my followers and friends and supporters, which I'm very grateful for because like it was very energy intensive and like I haven't opened it recently, but I know that when I wrote it, I was very pissed off and fed up and I'm sure that that came across, but, um, mm. uh, but it was also like kind of uh, cathartic to put it out there because I like, as it's like censorship is, an extremely important issue for me. And it's something that I've experienced even before I was sex worker when I was working as a journalist. And I just think it's like in my blood and like my family history to really care about censorship. So it's, it's very important for me to talk about and I will. Um, but at the same time, like talking about all the bad shit that happens doesn't feel good. And it like makes it like it's hard to always talk about it without like feeling like a victim and that's like not a good mindset to be in and it like makes me on edge about like a lot of things that happen <laughs> and so yeah. so I and like very hyper vigilant and so I don't know writing that was like very like important to do so it's documented and hopefully to move past it and um obviously obviously like not much as changed like but um but yeah it was just good to put it down and but and I I interviewed um 10 other sex workers for that I think and um a lot of them are not even involved anymore but if you read it you could see why probably but I just also think that that, that speaks volumes like um a lot of people don't want to be in this in this space and obviously, like being in this space, like connected, like to the community is like different than just using crypto or like accepting it as a payment, which of course, a lot of people will still do. But like, people don't want anything to do with this culture. Like, I mean, some people will put up with it. I mean, yeah, if you read it, you can see why, like how exhausting it can be for, for a lot of people. Yeah. And I feel like I think I think what that essay does really well is it introduces both textually and subtextually a kind of like censorship that's a lot more insidious maybe yeah. not a lot more but is also insidious in, and goes hand in hand with this kind of like i think very obvious and targeted um like blacklisting by platforms which is this kind of like subtextual way that certain information is presented to us and certain information isn't just by the nature of like especially algorithmic programming you know, I am very, very, very aware and very, very interested in what Twitter does this art movement, being that this is an art movement that is completely, it completely takes place on one social media site. And thus, it moves in these ways, you know, and that could be technologically, like with the rise of video and podcasting and spaces and audio, etc. at any given time based on this unknowable algorithm produced by Twitter. Um, you know, mm -hmm. this kind of censorship, I, I wonder, is this just a reality of any cultural movement that has a home on Twitter and is going to somewhere like, like, let's say we were to take this entire movement and port it to a Warpcast or a Blue Sky <laughs> or some, yeah, like some platform that seems to embrace decentralization and it's like core thesis. Like, 
does that solve the problem or does something like much, much deeper need to take place? And what would that even be? So first about Blue Sky and Warpcast. Um, Blue Sky definitely has better moderation policies and they're like definitely more uh, transparent about about it. And um, it allows you to self-censor and like categorize like what your work is um, or you can appeal it. But um with and, and it, it it does that without punishing your whole account like twitter might but mm-hmm. um but the community on blue sky is very anti crypto and like very anti ai and so uh yeah that's probably not the best place but and then warpcast barcaster of course are very um very into crypto and ai but but um my some of my work was already taken down from there and I'm not even exactly sure like what happened and because there's no transparency. Like, and I've, I tried to talk to them um, about like what the rules actually are, because like, of course the go-to answer, if you don't like something happening on Warpcast is to, well, go build your own app, like go build something else on Firecaster. Um, no, I'm not, I'm not going <laughs> to do that. Um, especially if like, I can't get a straight answer about what is even allowed here. Like, why would I, I don't know. Like I, I honestly, I still use it sometimes, um, Mm. because I know that I can't, um, depend on any single platform, but yeah, I, I just think transparency is extremely important. And if you're going to try to be this alternative, you have to like embrace the, that like, even if, even if you are going to apply these rules like on, on Warpcast, at least be open about what they actually are, but you're not. So like, fuck you. I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, so as far as like Twitter, I mean, it's, I have, I'm extremely careful about what I post on Twitter. I, I don't post a lot of my art on Twitter anymore because it does affect it. I like it's, I have even my uh, fembot, my AI collection, which I think you mentioned earlier, which mm-hmm. had some, nudity in it but it it's like not sexual there's like some boobs in it that like it's like it's surreal it's it that even that got me shadow banned like and search banned and um i knew that at the time uh because it happened soon after but like even more recently someone asked grok like the twitter ai thing which of my posts which of my posts were hurting my account and it it said some of my fembot, um, even the ones that I'd censored. Interesting. So, yeah. So, so there's that. And like, you know, a lot of people will say like, you're not shadow banned, you're just boring or whatever, but no, like <laughs> I'm not stupid. Like, and I'm definitely not boring. I know yeah. that. So, and, and, and other sex workers I know. Oh yeah. Like about two years ago, my, my banner photo was reported and, um, I was like briefly suspended for that. And since then my account has not really grown. Like it did a little bit. And then I like, it could, it could be for other reasons too. Cause I'm like super political and stuff, but like to have zero growth in two years is crazy. Like mm. since I was reported and other, I know other sex workers that have, that have noticed the same thing, but, and like people will try to tell us that it's just, that it's, just us, but we like people who have experienced this a lot know, and we know like what is punished or not. And um, 
So well, it's, it's hard yeah. to tell. I mean, I, I've, I'm sort of the, I'm no sex worker, but I find the same thing. And I don't know if it's because I write and so much about crypto. I don't know if it's because I'm constantly linking out to different sites, but like, I think I grew from like no followers to like 1100 in my first year. And I think I've gotten like a hundred, 200 in the last two years or so. And there's no rational explanation. Like you said, I'm not boring or anything, but this goes into the larger conversation that like we're subject to these like censoring powers that a, we don't understand and B might not even be aware of what they're censoring. It might just be like, I don't know, the downstream effect of some programmatic decision. And that feels to me just like so damaging, so damaging to discoverability, so damaging to just like, if we take this conversation all the way up to the surface level, just like the ability to discover new and interesting artistry, new and interesting yeah. voices, like we don't know who we're going to be exposed to at any given time or who we're going to be allowed to be exposed to at any given time. And that just seems so antithetical to the whole idea of what social media and what like this movement seems to hold dear yeah yeah i don't i don't really post my only memes art anymore and that's a hilarious fucking collection like and i can't yeah, it's funny like, it's good it. and <laughs> and but yeah it definitely like once you're aware of it um it it can lead to self self-censorship so it all like ties back to each other i've also like made art about self-censorship my piece self-surveillance where i'm like shooting myself and holding a gun to the back of my head and it's just like going in circles but it's just yeah it's just like a when you don't know the rules especially when there's like some fear of being deplatformed and like how that could affect your livelihood like that can be actually traumatic that's like especially for sex workers or, or artists who depend on social media for sales or something obviously it's like good to have other streams of income and blah 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 but like it's very scary um especially when everything is so online now mm -hmm. like if you if that's your way of paying your bills like that's extremely extremely scary and so you become very careful i mean it's like you ever play the card game mao no <laughs> what is that this is a big camp game for me when i was a kid you don't you can't ask the rules some people playing know the rules and you're and every time you break a rule you lose and you have to i don't know take a drink or do whatever not when i was a kid of course but um you're just playing this game in the dark and then you're trying to discover the rules in real time but like the rules of the, yeah. the game change constantly yeah well, I, yeah i'd like to just just quickly um because i i have some questions on on um, a different topic but like one thing that I'm super interested in is that we have not collectively seen a large platform loudly responding to the criticisms that others face of blacklisting and using that as a way of separating themselves from the herd. That seems crazy to me that that would not be like a huge selling point for some platform, whether that's a social media institution, whether that's a, a specifically like an art marketplace. Like, why is there not this? loud desire to separate oneself themselves from these platforms that get universally reviled like an open sea maybe because they're not that different <laughs> i don't know or or like maybe because it's yeah or maybe because there's not actual demand like from people that matter like people will use the the better thing the lesser evil thing even if they don't use those use these issues 
um, to attract people. So I don't know. I yeah. Well, that's a perfect segue to this, this topic I want to close out with, which is you know you you wrote in a CoinDesk interview. Um, quote, so-called Web3 is really just a reflection of this bullshit dystopia that we live in, and I can't expect things to be different there. And I'm curious, and maybe the answer is there isn't, like, or it's impossible, but like, what do we have to collectively do to create an alternative environment to this bullshit dystopia in the way that you kind of envisioned for yourself when you first, you know, wrote that op-ed for The Defiant three years Mm -hmm. ago, two years ago? Like, do you see a path towards that that we are capable of influencing as like a movement? You mean like create a new separate alternative thing? I mean, I think the most important thing is just like awareness of what is happening and that and like people that care and we don't really have much of either. And and <laughs> I mean, like we are living in like a very Orwellian world. Like even, even Twitter now, like a lot of people believe it has free speech because Elon says so, but it's definitely not if you're actually paying attention and like certain issues and certain types of journalists are punished and suspended. But like he has this whole thing image going that it's like free speech. So people believe that. And like, Mm -hmm. it's just like, like that, like how do you create something that actually has that when when people believe don't even realize that like what's actually happening or it doesn't affect them enough for them to actually care. And I mean like everyone's self-interested, you know. I don't know. I just think awareness uh, is the best thing and realizing that we are already living in like this extreme dystopia but we are made to believe that we're not and that's the problem and like people fall for like marketing buzzwords like web3 like i like can't take it seriously when people like who who i know are like not critical like when they really call it web3 because it's just like pushing this image of what it is and i don't know i just think like the vast majority of people are not um paying attention you know it's it's a hard question and i don't have an answer to it either necessarily yeah. other than just like in- increasing attention and increasing people's care but like you said hard to get people to care about something that either doesn't yeah. affect them or they see like you know as not ever going to affect them yeah and that's also why like like i've said like talking about it too much just like makes me feel like a victim and so like at some point, like it, I have to balance like talking about it and just like dealing with what there is and like making art about it and hoping that people also want to talk about like the art that, you know, to, that's about that. So it's like how, like talking, I don't know. Yeah, I think there has to be a balance of playing within the rules and while still like talking about what's actually happening. I definitely don't want to be hyperbolic, but like I'm reminded of that the Martin Niemöller poem um, when they came for from the Holocaust of like when they came for the communists, I didn't speak out because I wasn't a communist when they came for the trade unionists. I didn't speak out because I wasn't a trade unionist when they came for the Jews. I didn't speak out because I wasn't a Jew when they came for me. There was no one left to speak out for me. And it does seem like that is kind of again, it's maybe not that maybe not that dire in the like Web3 art world, but like the principle still applies. And I'm really concerned about this question because, you know, 
earlier today, Bitcoin hit $64,000, right? There's like mm -hmm. a fair to middling chance that any day this week, we're going to see a new all-time high for, for Bitcoin. And the natural effect of that and the natural effect of that trend potentially continuing is that tons of outside influence is going to then enter into the crypto world and they will find their way downstream to the NFT world because they will naturally want more and more opportunities to make money and you know find cultural influence. And I am very sensitive to what we do with this wave of people now that we know that they're coming. Right? We are aware that we are going to have impressionable, uneducated people in Web3, Web3, arriving here, <laughs> right? How do we win their voices to this conversation in a way that feels scalable? Can we win their voices to this conversation in a way, way that feels scalable? Like, how do we introduce to people who are just arriving here that things are not okay? That's hard because the people that newcomers will listen to are probably less likely to be talking about this like the most popular bigger accounts like they either don't talk about censorship or they will just like i don't know like sometimes i'll see like some big account like say like something random about like where are all the thoughts or like or like some like the friend tech like thing like this is mm -hmm. going to be the web three only fans, but like these people like, and they're like very influential people, like saying influential, like big accounts, a lot of money, like saying this stuff, but they haven't actually been paying attention to like what's been happening. So, and they don't actually care. Otherwise they would like, so, so I don't know <laughs> the answer yeah. to that question, but because I think it's just important to like, for those who do care to like stick with what they believe in and bring it up when you can and make art about it and be subversive. Yeah. Okay. I have one last question for you that is not related to this topic, okay, cool. which is <laughs> you uh, collaborated on a piece with Lulu XXX years ago, yeah. which I think was made for a lot of money. I think it's called Natrix, but it uses her like weird yeah. style of, title that i can't remember off the top of my head yeah. and she repeats it like every like month or so i feel like i constantly see that piece in my oh, timeline cool. why yeah. does lulu xxx love this piece so much <laughs> that she continues to i don't know we made a we made a few pieces together um we we first made a couple pieces that were like more purple and they sold and then a lot of money um i think bid on one of them or, or like expressed interest and it was like they were already sold so then he wanted us to make another one mm -hmm. for him and so we did and I think there's like still a couple other in that series I don't know if they're listed now but I just see it all the time it's the one with you with the the whip and you're like raising your leg up and it's, it's yeah just, <laughs> I just I see it constantly <laughs> those were fun I think it it still tags my old uh twitter handle so I don't always see it actually because it doesn't at me but um, yeah, that was a fun uh, collaboration. I haven't done many collaborations, actually, yeah, I but mean, it was a good one. There's a whole, there's a whole conversation to be had about the way collaborations have stalled in like crypto art in general, and how that was like so integral to the early movement. How it's been completely like lost. Colborn and I speak about that constantly, but conversation okay. for another day. Natrix, this has been a wonderful conversation, and I appreciate your candor and your insight and um and your 
lack of uh, guardrails in talking about this because I <laughs> think that it's bold and brave to begin with. Um, do you want to, or rather, I'd like you to take a moment and tell the listeners anything you have going on or what they should know about yourself or anything at all? If you'd like um, to take a moment. I don't know. I would. Well, first of all, thank you uh, for hosting this conversation. And as for what I've got going on, um, I just released a piece that is called Black and White and Red All Over that is pretty political, but it's also actually about media control and control of what people see in the news in mainstream news as far as like what's um been happening in the middle east lately which is also my background so that piece is really important to me and i'll be writing more about that extensively i'd just say and i've written extensively about um a couple of my collections if <laughs> i don't know um i don't know what else to say but yeah feel free to check out my art or ask me about my art and thanks for listening yeah uh i echo all those sentiments um i love your fembot collection i love your only memes collection they're great introductions to all sorts of things that you do so i implore everyone to check that out um once again if you have not before please read um it's not web3 without sex worker sovereignty it changes the entire perspective on what's happening here um i think it's a really vital vital piece um if you like this conversation, please consider giving us a follow or a subscribe on Spotify or Apple so that you are not only finding out about our podcasts when Twitter decides that it's appropriate. Um, please also subscribe to our Substack at museumofcrypto.substack.com for the very same reason, because we do things that are thoughtful and uh, intellectual, and Twitter doesn't like to uh, to tell people about them. So please check those out. Um, you can find Natrix at, at OnlyNatrix on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Natrix, very much for being on. I appreciate the conversation. I appreciate you and I appreciate everyone listening. So take care, everyone. We'll see you again real soon. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this podcast, everyone. It was edited and produced by me, Max Cohen. I would like to extend a massive thanks to Natrix for coming on and sharing her experience and her insight. It was completely invaluable. I would also like to thank Julian Brangold for composing our intro and outro music and to Day Fox for composing our cold open theme. My final thanks to all of you for listening. We wouldn't be able to do what we do here without you, and we really appreciate it. We hope you'll stick on with us for another episode of Mocha Live. We'll see you soon.